0: The passage today comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for his good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is the word of Lord. First uh, message of the new year and of the decade, and we're starting a new series, Revive Vision and Values, and uh, this is the way, we, you know, we like to start the year what our church is all about. And um, I don't know if you know this, but we have seven values and they they follow our vision, which is to proclaim new life in Christ to the nations of Silicon Valley. And I'm going to preach on the first of those values. And we won't be able to hit all seven just for the sake of probably of the calendar. Um, we'll probably do about maybe five out of the seven in this series. But the first one and always the most important one is that we are a gospel-centered church. Gospel-centered and we're powered by grace. We're a grace-driven, gospel-centered church. And this text um, that we went over today, Ephesians chapter two, it's one of the great, great places where that is proclaimed. For by grace you have been saved. And some of you have been a Christian for a long time, you probably have, you may have memorized verses eight and nine. And um, if you have been a Christian for a long time or a short time, I highly recommend you memorize. Verses eight, nine, and 10. Um, those are really important, deep, deep truths. So um, in, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to do this things called the Intro to Revive. It's our, it's our membership class. And if you are interested in possibly considering becoming a member of our church, that class does not obligate you to become a member. Um, this series, this is, a, this is a good series. This is a good series to tell you what we are about, okay? So with that said, Let's get into today's message called All by Grace, part one. The gospel in a world of ungrace. That's not my phraseology. Um, That's Philip Yancey. I've been reading a book by him, and he calls, he says, we live in a world of ungrace. And what is our church about? We proclaim the gospel in a world of ungrace. Part two, the immeasurable riches of grace through jesus christ right? i want to talk about just two of these riches all right? the immeasurable riches of grace through jesus christ and then part three i'm going to close by saying the transformative power of the gospel all right i'm going to tell you a story to close the transformative power of the gospel um so um you know this this has been a, a rather intense year we uh you know, we found a new home, we launched, you know, we had all this preparation, we launched our church, it was a really intense year for the pastors, okay? And um, so then when we got to, you know, after Thanksgiving, I just kind of dialed everything down and said, let me just feed on the gospel and find rest again in Jesus, and I I thought about this book. I knew this was an important book, I'd never gotten around to read it, Um, so I ordered it, and because I knew I was going to be preaching on this at the beginning of the year, it's called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And um, this book rocks, <laughs> okay? It's fantastic. And it has fed me deeply. And um, if you ever want a book when you're feeling really low and you're feeling far from God, um, get this book. And you don't have to read even all of it. You're just, just like, he just has these little pieces This place where he punches you in the head or sometimes he'll give you a paragraph which will fill your soul. I'm not kidding, right? So he has this phrase, um, what's so amazing about grace? Now I have to tell you this thing that is at the most fundamental basic thing of Christianity and I have to tell you, for most of you who have been Christians for many years, I have to make this thing um, not sound boring, (laughs) but it should never be boring. You know Why? Because outside of genuine biblical Christianity, everything is ungrace. So here, just some examples. Um, So around the world, everywhere you go, it's ungrace. So he gives us, the military practices ungrace in its purest form. It's all, you know, they literally, there's a rank for everybody. There are merits and demerits on performance. They tell you how to put on your socks, your shoes, and of course, you know, how do you walk, talk, everything, eat, you know, that's the way. And it's not by grace. But it's not just the military. Every institution, this is just the way Philip Yancey put it. It seems runs on ungrace and its insistence that we earn our way. Justice departments, airline frequent flyer miles. How about schools? There's always a grade in school, right? Um, I think this is one of the reasons my kids hate school. <laughs> they hate being graded all the time. And who, would, who wants to be graded all the time? But you know, you ever think about other places that are filled with ungrace? You ever think that a, a, a singles bar <laughs> or a nightclub is not a place of grace? It's ungrace. You walk into that place, and first of all, you have to get into a line, And um, if if the club is really cool and hip and you're not good looking, they won't let you in. (laughs) So you don't even get in if you're not hot enough. (laughs) And as soon as you're in, everybody is checking out on the basis of ungrace with your worth buying a drink for, getting drunk for, hanging out with, right? Everywhere, ungrace. Um... You know, there's, there's all these incredible nuggets strung throughout this book, but I just want to give you a couple of quotes that I just really stuck out to me. Churches can get caught up in the culture wars, but then they can neglect that the church's mission, there's a fundamental mission, which I think is like, the, like one of the biggest things in church, which is to be a haven of grace in a world of ungrace. Revive Everybody, please remember this. We are in an absolute city of ungrace. Except we usually, we don't usually call it ungrace. We call it performance. <laughs> everywhere you go, in your work group, in your school, everywhere, it's performance, ungrace in this city, right? Right down to the car you drive, the clothes you wear, even if your haircut is good enough, okay? But the church it has to be a haven of grace, and I would say it this way: if it isn't, it ain't any good. So, a little tip for, especially for all you high school kids going off to college, or if you guys are in college and you're trying to find a good church, go to church. If it's not a haven of grace, leave. That's what I would do. Because why would I want to go to that church? It's just like the rest of the world. Some other ones. Um, Gordon McDonald, he was a, he was a lead pastor at mega megachurch called Grace Chapel, good name. Um, you know. This, he's, he's retired now, so this, this, is a, this book was written like 20 years ago, and he quotes him. The world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the, church, the world cannot do, the church does though, It cannot, the world cannot offer grace. Um, Yancey grew up in a a very strict fundamentalist church background. And for that, he basically um, ran away from this thing he called Christianity, which I don't think was Christianity. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that are very strict, fundamentalistic, highly legalistic. And on the front, it says Christian, but it's not, right? But um, here's what he says. Uh, I sense that why any person, what is the only reason why people, many people do go to church? It's because they have a hunger for grace. He, he, he quotes this book called Growing Up Fundamentalist. It's really interesting. I think a guy who grew up in an environment like that would be interested in a book like this. And He talks, there's a portion in there where there's a reunion of students from a missionary academy, which was in Japan. Apparently, it was a very kind of like strict, legalistic, fundamentalist type school. And says, with one or two exceptions, all these students that grew up in Japan, this fundamentalist, legalistic, Christian school, they'd all left the faith, but then they all came back. Why'd they come back? And those of us who came back, so this is what the students said, had one thing in common. We had all discovered grace. (laughs) That's why they came back. One more. As I look back on my own pilgrimage, this is Philip Yancey, marked by wanderings, detours, and dead ends, I see now that what pulled me along was my search for grace. I rejected the church for a time because I found so little grace there. Yet I return because I found grace nowhere else. (laughs) This is the one place where there is. So if you go to a church that doesn't have grace, oh my goodness. It's like going to a hospital and there are no doctors. (laughs) There's no healing. What good is it? Revive church. Oh, we are always about grace. And that's why we're always about the gospel. And at the center of the gospel is this gift What is grace? Grace is getting what you do not deserve. (laughs) Your wages, is just getting what you earned. Grace is not getting what you deserve. It's getting far better than you deserve. In fact, in the scriptures, it's getting what you never ever could possibly deserve. The gospel is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, which we never could have earned. In fact, quite the opposite. So here's how the passage goes. The passage says, you were dead. (laughs) That's what it says. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, trespasses. Actually, I I didn't go at this just for the sake of time, but verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse three, before we get to our passage, it says, and we were by nature, This is by nature, this is the way we we normally, in our complete normalness, we are children of wrath. That's the way the Bible puts it. Like all of mankind, we're children of wrath. But what does the gospel proclaim? There is a news. This is unbelievable news. And the news is, there is grace. God gives you salvation by grace. When you were dead in your transgressions, trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. That's the gospel. And then it goes on. Then, it kind of in, then Paul interrupts the discussion. He goes, by grace you are saved. <laughs> and then if you didn't miss it, you get to verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, not by works. Not by works. Um, I'll just stop for a moment. Um, a lot of people, you tend to see somebody who do bad things. They're drunk. They sleep around. They have really bad, you know, foul mouth. They get really easily angry. They lie. They steal. They cheat. They do worse things, you know. If someone is a sexual harasser, a sexual molester, if someone violently assaults somebody else, we lock that person up. I mean, yeah, those are sins, okay? Those are obvious sins. But you know that actually, you know, there are a lot of people today. I think they go, "Gosh, it's really dramatic." Dead in our trespasses. I don't feel dead. I'm still. I'm talking. I'm alive. What trespass? What are you talking about? I'm a decently good person. I'm nice. I have good intentions for the poor. Um, I'm faithful to my wife or to my girlfriend. I'm really nice to kids. I'm even nice to dogs, <laughs> right? But in the Bible, it says that we're dead. In our trespasses. And I think this is really important that you that the most decent people, the most nice people, <laughs> the kindest, nicest people, like you know, like many of you, we have to wrestle with this question. Are you actually dead in your trespasses? Why do you need this savior? Why do you need somebody to be kind to you? In, in a way that you can't earn this grace thing. Right? Why is it such a big deal? So many people aren't interested in church. I think it's because they haven't felt that they have this real need yet for grace. But if you can start to understand yeah, the, the outside of the grace given to it through God and Jesus, you're dead. You're a dead, you're like a walking dead in trespass. So I want to just give you one argument about this, okay? Everybody. It does not matter whether you're a Christian or not. Every single person thinks you should love people, right? (laughs) Now, let me ask you this question. What kind of love do you want to receive from somebody? What kind of love do you want to receive? You want to receive, they just have good intentions for you, and they do this one nice little thing, and then otherwise they completely ignore you. That's the kind of love you want, right? Of course not. You want the kind of love for you where a guy will woo you and die in dine you and then, you know, then he'll want to get in bed with you and then he loved you. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> what kind of a love do you want? You want a person who sees you, who knows you, all the way down, all the way down to the bad stuff and they'll still keep loving you even after they see it. They will still keep loving you even when you are bad. When you screwed up, and not in a little way, you screwed up in a big way. You became a drunk, you slept with the wrong person, you beat your kids. And then, if that person still loves you, man, that's love. Don't we all want love like that? Now, I hope none of you beat your kids, but don't tell me that you don't screw up. You're just not real if you don't, you don't screw up. And I'm sure everybody who's ever been close to you in your life, every, I mean everybody, <laughs> they tell you in one way or another, you're not that easy to love. And if they don't tell you, You know why? It's because you're such a pain in the butt. They don't bother to tell you because you never listen. (laughs) So they just avoid you. But we want real love. It's like that. If life was like that, then we wouldn't be dead in our tent. This is God's way of thinking about are you alive or are you dead? If you're alive, you can love. If you're dead, then you, you can't love. But most of us, let me just be really honest, we're not very good at this. <laughs> so let me, say, let, let, me, let me push this a little further. You, if you want to know, this issue of grace, oh, it's super relevant to the issue of love. You know why? Because you have to practice grace to love somebody, and let me give you, there's an actual way you do it. So there's love, there's grace. Okay, you're like, grace, that's this thing I hear at church. Love, okay, everybody's supposed to do that. I have these feelings. Okay, that, okay that's not love. <laughs> when you love somebody, you are good to them even if you don't have the feelings. That's, now that's love. <laughs> you're good to them when your feelings actually make you want to kill them. <laughs> that's love. <laughs> and then there's this other thing. It's in the Bible. It's in the middle of the Bible. It's right in the middle of the gospel. When they screw up, you could forgive them. You forgive them. Because in that forgiveness, you know what that enables? You can keep loving them. (laughs) If you don't have forgiveness, the love goes away. The love dies. But if there's forgiveness, we can keep going. The love goes on. So when the Bible says you're dead in trespasses, you know what the Lord is saying? He's not just being like a legalistic or like religion-y or anything like that. No, it's just a a really raw, real assessment of how human beings go about life. They do not love, therefore they're basically dead. And because we do not love, you know what God calls that? Trespasses. You know, the worst sins are not the bad things that we do. There's this thing, that, you know, maybe we'll, I'll, I'll use it one of these days on our confession of sin. There's sins of commission, the things we do, those are bad things. There's also, I think a lot of our sins are sins of omission, things we do not do, which we should do. <laughs> and a big one right at, near the top is Forgiveness. I don't know about you, I'm not very good at forgiveness. Most of us are really horrible at forgiveness. And don't kid yourself. If you're not good at forgiveness, you're not very good at loving. And for this, we need grace. Oh, we need grace. Now, I want to explicate how the gospel, some, many of you, you know that if you, I tell you about how, okay, just, let me just tell you a little bit of how I preach. I I go after conviction of sin on the early part of the sermon. Did I have have your attention? Do you feel like you have conviction of sin? You're not good at forgiveness, therefore you're a trespasser. Now you have conviction of sin. Good, I did my job. (laughs) Now you need good news, (laughs) okay? Usually you guys kind of know I wait to part three to get to the good news. Not today. Here's how it says. God is rich in mercy because he has great love Those of us who are dead, he made us alive by grace. And this is a part I just want to go into. I I wish I could take some more time. I can't take too much time, but I want to just highlight this. Verse six, this is what salvation looks like. He raised us up with him, that's Christ Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. just stop for a moment. That's past tense. You're like, hmm, I'm still on the earth. I have not been raised up with Christ Jesus. I'm not seated. Am I seated with him in the heavenly places? I'm still in the very earthly places. That's really strange. Did you guys ever notice that? It's past tense. This is a very odd thing. And I want to teach you this thing that I, I learned. It took, I, I learned this until I got to Westminster Seminary. You know what this is? There's a very strange mystery. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you're born again, something mysterious happens to your fundamental identity and who you are. Past tense, on the spot, you are made alive. And then your identity and your status is raised up to seat in high heavenly places, this will never be taken away from you, ever. <laughs> it can never be taken away from you. So please think about that. Driving around Silicon Valley, you know, a couple weeks ago, my car was breaking down, and I'm like, it's an old car. A car's breaking down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and gosh, it's, it's a, I feel poorer than everybody else in this town, and it's hard to be a pastor in this town, and I went through about 30 seconds of feeling sorry for myself. You know how I got over it? Oh, wait a second. But this is just a temporary little spot. I have been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. It's an eternal thing, never taken away from me. If you can believe that, you don't have to give the middle finger to the person who cuts you off, okay? You can be kinder even to the mechanic who can't figure out what's wrong on with your car. Grace. You receive grace. Oh, suddenly you can give it. Okay? Let um, me say one more thing, all right? So before we move on. So I just can't... Henry Newman. Henry Newen was a professor at Harvard. He left his job. You know what he decided to do? He decided to go live among kids that were developmentally disabled because he said, loving them, I experienced God. Like the top of his field, he's a professor at Harvard. (laughs) Mid-career, he left it. Here's how he describes it. Forgiveness is love practiced among people who love poorly. Forgiveness is just love practiced among people who love poorly. Who love poorly? Everybody. When you get close to them, you're going to find out they love you poorly. Is that the problem of every marital problem? Is that the problem of every fight between brother and sister, father and son, mother and daughter, friend to friend? You were best friends with that person. But then they loved you back poorly. You're going to keep loving them? Forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is? It's grace in action. It's grace. And from God, he has loved you. (laughs) A lot of people think that just means he has good feelings toward us and good intentions toward us. No. He paid a price. So he can say, oh, that, that horrible thing you did, that's not how I see you. I forgave you. I washed you. Oh, you were a child molester? Washed away. You lie and cheat on your husband? Washed away. You're a drug addict? You steal? You lie and cheat? It's not how I see you. I've forgiven you. It's grace. It's the gospel. (laughs) Let's go to part two. Riches of grace. Oh. Okay. Here at Revived Church, we preach the gospel every week. We sing the gospel. You walk in, we give you gospel and grace (laughs) from the get-go. We even hug you (laughs) at the peace of Christ. It's all part of the grace. So, really, the goal as a pastor, all of us, me, young, Joe, all of us leaders. We know you walk in in a world of ungrace. You come into this church. We want to give you grace. So every single week, the goal, the job, the habit is to offer you immeasurable riches of grace. So every week, immeasurable riches of grace. So, you know, that's what we're doing all the time. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of riches of grace. Today, I just want to offer you two. I want to talk about two of these immeasurable riches, okay? Number one. Um, do you want to live in a world that's only about fair (laughs) so this is the first thing I want to talk to you about are you a person that as soon as somebody does something bad to you unfair unjust justice (laughs) do you really want it to be that way all the time do you really want it to be that way all the time I sure hope not I sure don't want my wife treating me totally fair. (laughs) No way. My wife is awesome because she is not fair. She's better than fair. She has grace. She has forgiven me many, many times. She forgets and she goes, here we go again. But you're my husband. See, that's, that's, what, that's part of the immeasurable riches of grace. Let me just say something to you. If you're not a Christian here in this, if you come here and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. Absolutely, we're glad you're here. But if you're a Christian, you should get this on a regular basis, at least in church. And actually, all of your life, you should be looking for this. And if you're not a Christian, You're going to find it first in Jesus. But if you're not, don't find it in Jesus. I sure hope you find it in your boyfriend or I sure hope you have some friends. Hope your dad treats you this way. But even if we don't have the name Jesus behind it, when your friend gives you not fair, better than fair, you actually earned their scorn. You really screwed up. They don't even say, I forgive you. You didn't even say, I'm sorry. You should have said you're sorry. (laughs) Maybe you should have said you're sorry and then even did something else to try to make up for it. But then they give you better than fair, immeasurable riches of grace. You've received it. It's not even in church. It's from your friend. You screwed up. It was bad. Like maybe you told a secret about her that you shouldn't have, and now she got really hurt and humiliated. And if it was you on the other side, you'd want to stab you back. You screwed up. I'll forgive you. shouldn't even say it. It's okay. It's better than fair. Immeasurable riches of grace. That's the first one. This is the value of our church. In our church, this is how we want to operate. This is how we want to be. You can't be like that because I just told you to be like, the pastor tells you you're supposed to be better than fair to everybody. (laughs) Show grace to everybody like it's a duty. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Okay? In in the church, we are the family of God. We're called to love each other. You can't just do it because you're supposed to do it. But you know how you can do it? Because you get grace. And you know how you get grace? You're first told that it's given to you by God. And then we as leaders, we want to put this thing in all the time. All the time. It's by grace. It doesn't mean that we're weak and soft. Sometimes it's great because you just get out of jail, free car, just do whatever. The That's not what grace is. Grace is a kindness which is intended to call you to be more Alive, not dead. So grace actually pulls you and compels you, even gently, maybe sometimes a little bit not so gently. Grace can be tough too. But it's better than fair. More than we deserve. In our church, this is the kind of like community and culture that we always want to you know, cultivate constantly to each other. Give better than what's fair. It wasn't fair. That person didn't, didn't do their part. This person snubbed me and like, that's why I you know, didn't get invited to that gathering. Forgiveness. Oh, I don't want that person at the gathering because they're not as cool. Better than fair. Grace. Again and again. Immeasurable riches. And I'll give you a second one. In our church, we have a name for it. It's called grace motivation. Grace-powered church, grace-driven church. So you have to have a motivation. You have to have some motivation, some internal heart power in order to be good like this because because other people are hard to love, okay? And if you're really smart, you will remember this too. You, You ain't a prize either. So because you're not a prize And God, who is truly the great prize, he loved us when we weren't the prize by grace. Someone else is not a prize. Okay, (laughs) I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. (laughs) Let me be motivated to serve them. So I'm just gonna be really explicit about this. You know, we have a pastor's staff meeting every week. And then... Almost every week, there's some hole in the ministry. We got this hole in the ministry. Who could we get to do this? Because you know, we can't do this because we've got too much work to do on our own or we're no good at it. So who can we get to do this hole inside of Revived Church? It's important. Okay, so then we kind of go down the names and then you know what we do, we're like, you know what we really should do is we should just threaten them and tell them what a bad person they are. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, then, then they'll do it, right? <laughs> of course, that's not what we do. You know, I grew up in Asian church. They do that. <laughs> I'm from an Asian family. I've gotten that. Thankfully, not too often. My dad more often than my mom. <laughs> my dad uses guilt, guilt, duty, obligation, fear. Oh, he's, he's good at that. Too many Asian churches use guilt, duty, obligation, fear. In our church, we don't want to use that tool. We want to use grace. Two ways. So just some some things that we we, we practice, we as pastors. We ask you to do it. You're going to do the best job at it. We start thinking about, how can we say it gently? (laughs) Or... We forgive you and then give you another shot. That's one way. How about another way? We try to motivate you by the way Jesus served you. So would you do that for somebody else? And then here's a third way. It's also by grace, glory. So that's why up here in the pulpit, I'm always telling you about something so beautiful, so compelling that when you hear about this thing, you're like, Life can be like this. We don't have to live in this completely crappy world of ungrace. There's something beautiful and so compelling that if I contribute and do use my skills and use my talent and use my energies and be part of it, something so beautiful can come out of it. That's glory. The Bible doesn't use a word called beauty because it's too small of a word. Use a better word, glory. God is about glory. Grace leads to glory. So sometimes we tell you about something so incredible from the gospel, you know what? You guys start going, can we do this? Can we do this? And we're like, okay, okay. great. You know what that is? Grace motivation. You know where it's from? The gospel. The Holy Spirit puts in your heart. There'll be a time in your life when you want to serve Jesus. And you know how you serve Jesus? Jesus. By loving people that are hard to love. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need much. So then he goes, oh, you want to serve me? Okay, here's this tough person. Go serve them. Then you have served me. That's how Jesus does it. That's how Jesus does it. And there'll be a time when you keep taking in the gospel, you will want, you actually want to go do this piece of service. And then, and then as you grow, you will need to do this piece of service. And then your friends will look at you or your kids will look at you and go, you spend a lot of time doing this really hard thing. Why? Why do you do that? You ne- Nobody ever thanks you. You don't get paid for it. There's no medal. There's no honor. You're like, well, I need to do this. There's glory. I have been graced. Grace motivation. And in our church, you know, The easy shortcut would be fear, guilt, obligation. Fear, guilt, obligation. Hit you with that stick. Boom. Fear. Boom. I'm a pastor. I've got like spiritual authority. I'll hit you with the fear stick. Boom. That'll work for like about maybe a few weeks and then you'll stop. Instead, how about if I feed you with grace? And then at the beginning, it doesn't seem nothing so much seems to happen. Feed you with it. Then again, and then again, and then again, and then next year, we can't even stop you. Can't even stop you. It's one of the great immeasurable riches of grace. If you will all jump into that, revival will become an awesome church. Let's close. I wanna tell you a story. So you guys know I like stories. So this book is filled with stories. And I read one of them, which was so good, I was going, go, okay, this, this one's got to be told. And so, um, I'm, we're in second grade now, and I will be your teacher. <laughs> Don't put your head down. Okay, you can put your head down. I'm going to read it. It's, it's something else. This is what the gospel can do, this is what grace does. If it hasn't done this to you yet, just keep coming back for more grace through the gospel. At some point, Jesus will do this to you. <laughs> it's part of the immeasurable riches. So, so this is Philip Yancey. I mentioned a small group discussion on forgiveness revolving around the case of Jeffrey Dahmer. Do anybody know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? Okay, okay. The you young people don't know Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial murderer. He murdered 17 boys and he ate them. He was a cannibal. He had their bodies in a freezer. They found the bodies in a freezer and then they convicted him. That's Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, I didn't know this. He became a Christian in prison. So this discussion group was like, can Jeffrey Dahmer be forgiven? Well, (laughs) And this room full of Christians, while they're talking about forgiveness, they start splitting in the room about whether Jeffrey Dahmer Adomer could be forgiven. Wow. Okay. So like many such discussions, it kept drifting away from personal illustrations toward abstract and theoretical. We discussed other hor- horrific crimes, Bosnia, the Holocaust. Almost by accident, the word divorce came up, and to our surprise, Rebecca spoke up. Rebecca is a quiet woman, and in weeks of meeting together, she had rarely opened her mouth. At the mention of divorce, though, she proceeded to tell her own story. She had married a pastor who had some renown as a retreat speaker. It became apparent, however, that her husband had a dark side. He dabbled in pornography, and on his trips to other cities, he solicited prostitutes. Sometimes he asked Rebecca for forgiveness. Sometimes he did not. In time, he left her for another woman named Julianne. Pastor's wife. Real prize of a dude. (laughs) Rebecca told us how painful it was for her, a pastor's wife, to suffer this humiliation. Some church members who had respected her husband treated her as if, his sexual strain had been her fault. I mean, my gosh, I read that and I just, oh gosh, because I just know that will happen. I know that happens. Devastated, she found herself pulling away from human contact, unable to trust another person. Here's a godly woman, she's in the church. She doesn't doesn't even go to church because of this. She could never put her husband out of mind because they had children, and she had to make regular contact with him in order to arrange his visitation privileges. Rebecca had the increasing sense that unless she forgave her former husband, a hard lump of revenge would be be passed on to her children. For months, she prayed. At first, her prayers seemed as vengeful, as some of the Psalms, she asked God to give her husband what he deserved. Fairness. See? That's, that's what I would want. Death. <laughs> it's like, Lord. You know, Grace and I watch these movies. I watch a guy punch his wife. And then I go, Grace, I hope there's a good ending. You know what I mean by that? I want that dude to die before the end of the movie. <laughs> Death. <laughs> and when he dies, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Fair. Fair but we need better than fair. Finally, she came to the place of letting God, not herself, determine what he deserved. One night, Rebecca called her ex-husband and said in a shaky, strained voice, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you've done to me. And I forgive Julianne two, she forgave the other woman. Are you kidding? Probably like seven out of seven nights, she wants to stab the other woman in the head. (laughs) But through grace, she forgave her. Here's the reaction. He laughed off her apology. Unwilling to admit he had done anything wrong, Despite his rebuff, that conversation helped Rebecca get past her bitterness. A few years later, Rebecca got a hysterical phone call from Julianne, the woman who had stolen her husband. She had been attending a ministerial conference with him in Minneapolis, and he had left the hotel room to go for a walk. A few hours passed, then Julianne heard from the police her husband had been picked up for soliciting a prostitute. On the phone with Julianne, on the phone with Rebecca, Julianne was sobbing. I never believed you, she said. I kept telling myself that even if what you said was true, he's changed. And now this, I feel so ashamed and hurt, and guilty. I have no one on earth who can understand. And then I remember the night when you said you forgave us. Was a few years back, I thought maybe you could understand what I'm going through. It's a terrible thing to ask, I know, but could I talk to you? Somehow, Rebecca found the courage to invite Julianne over that same evening in person. This is, this is an in person conversation. They sat in her living room, cried together, and shared stories of betrayal. And in the end, they prayed together. Julianne now points to that night as the time she became a Christian. Our group was hushed as Rebecca told her story. She was describing forgiveness, not in the abstract, but in a nearly incomprehensible scene of human linkage. There's a husband stealer and an abandoned wife Kneeling side by side on a living room floor, praying, wanted to become a Christian. (laughs) For a long time I felt foolish about forgiving my husband, Rebecca said. But that night I realized the fruit of forgiveness. Julianne was right. I could understand what she was going through. And because I'd been there too, I could be on her side instead of her enemy. We both had been betrayed by the same man. Now it was up to me to teach her how to overcome the hatred and revenge and guilt she was feeling. Here's how I'm going to close this message. There's one other person who could say this to us, to every single person in this room. You're right. I know how you feel. I've been in your place. I know what it's like to be betrayed, except he never sinned. He never screwed up. And he took on your sin. And he cries with you by grace. This is the most important person in your life. This is the person we worship. This is what, and what he offers you is this grace. And he offers this to you so that you can become like him and give this grace. So this church would be filled with people like Rebecca. Rebecca's Rebecca because she received grace from Jesus. That's the dream of Revive Church. I hope that'll be your dream. Let's pray. I can't imagine doing what Rebecca did, <clears throat> cannot imagine. Yet, Father, grace, I pray that it never become this thing in our church that's a word. I pray it would never be a religious word. We hear grace and we would say, oh, that's what Jesus is for me. And in this world of ungrace, May revived Church be a beacon of the grace you have given us. May we give that grace to each other again and again and again. May we love each other. May we forgive each other. May we have grace toward each other. So often we think that those are three separate things. <laughs> there's love and there's forgiveness and there's grace. But Lord, it's actually one thing. It's one thing. Love, forgiveness, and grace. It's one thing. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us grace. In Jesus name.